You're listening to the Hound Steve English Podcast, a comfy place to talk about all the great and not-so-great parts of teaching ESL abroad. I'm Steve, and I'm here with Hal. Howdy. And we're going to talk about the hardest part of running a hogwan in Korea. Stay tuned. Before we dive into this, let me fill you in on some new stuff at Hal and Steve English. Right now, Hal's been busy making some pretty great travel lessons. Um, with each travel lesson, he's covering a really interesting topic on culture, travel, and other countries. And he's also making a video that you can give to your students before class and warm them up on the topic. So if you'd like to use any of those or see what we're making, head to our blog at houndsteveenglish.com. I think backslash blog. And you can find a bunch of stuff there. And as always, we've also got a ton of free card games and uh, board games. And flashcards and this is the holiday season so we'll have some Christmas stuff and possibly Hanukkah stuff coming out pretty soon uh, and remember for $9.99 a month you can join and get unlimited access to all of our goods and your contributions help us to continue making more so many thanks alright how? yes sir our topic the hardest part of running a hagwon in Korea yeah, that's a monster of a topic. It is, because it's... There are many hard parts of running a hot quad in Korea. <laughs> yeah. That's what they say. I remember they told us that before we uh, got involved. Yeah, yeah, but we went about it anyway. Um, I guess for me, the hardest part of running the hogwans. Um, it's just the the huge cultural differences between you and your customers and basically how those cultural differences create completely different expectations. You'll be talking about what you think is the same topic using the same words as each other, but actually you're talking about com- two completely different things. Yeah. So for me, that'd be the... Uh, the big problem and I when I talk to other people it seems like whether they know it or they don't that's also their big problem as well they're not aware of all the difficulties in their business and all the weird communications with parents and customers are based on the fact that they have uh, they're not really aware that they're talking they're using the same words but they're talking about completely different things yeah So, I guess, um, I guess I got some ideas here. How? What do you think about that? Well, yeah, as you say that, I'm, I'm thinking about a couple different things. I'm just thinking about one, like, if you've got a hogwan and you're just doing adults, um, of course, you're you're talking about a, a big cultural difference, and I agree. Like, even. Even if we're conducting business in the U.S., right, and we're two American businessmen, that's the thing, right? We have to be really careful and make sure we understand each other and there's clarity. That would that's the big uh, that's the big impediment. But so I think it's definitely a given that in uh, on the spectrum of cultures, Amer- talking about America and Korea specifically, they're at the uh, opposite ends of the spectrum culturally so i think yeah there's huge 
huge issues there, especially if, like you say, you don't realize how important communication is and how important that is to your business. But I, and I was also thinking about if you're just teaching adults, whereas you're teaching children and you're dealing with their moms, because that's a whole nother thing. I mean, it's a problem in general, but specifically the mom, the mom language they have here. They have this special culture. Um, that's pretty wild. Yeah, it's a really good point. Teaching adults is going to provide you with a few, a few hiccups in communication for sure. Teaching children and then communicating with their moms is going to be very, very difficult. And I think that's kind of one of my big topics or one of my big points for anybody considering opening a hagwon or anybody that's running a hagwon right now. They can either commiserate with this or they'll realize, wow, I didn't, I should have focused on this. But whenever you talk to a parent, even if you're fluent in Korean, even if the parent's fluent in English and you're able to have a conversation using the same words, their concept of those words is very different than your concept or their expectations surrounding those words is going to be very different than your expectation and a lot of this has to do with the culture and the cultural differences and a lot of it has to do with different teaching styles which again is predicated on the culture so we recently had somebody on who was explaining the cultural differences between teaching ESL in America and teaching ESL in Korea and the parents. And I thought one thing that was really interesting was she mentioned that whenever she had to call the parents in America for monthly reports, she didn't have to walk on eggshells. She could directly tell the parents what the child was struggling with, what the child was doing well, and the problems with the child's behavior. Hmm. And the conversations with American parents lasted five or 10 minutes. And she said she was the head teacher in Korea and when she did that in Korea, the conversations were 30 minutes long because and she couldn't directly address any of the issues. Everything had to be a really, really great thing that the, the student had done. So she had to say everything very nicely and compliment the kid and in very indirect ways bring up issues if she could bring up issues at all. And those conversations were 30 minutes and they were a lot more often or a lot more common. And I think in that yeah. way, that's mm-hmm. just... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, that's all fascinating. I've got a few points, but if you want to finish that. Well, just in that way, you can already get a clue that there's no way, even if the person you're talking to is fluent in English here, or a mom that you're talking to here in Korea is fluent in English, or if you're fluent in Korean, if you just approach it from an American or a Western cultural mindset, you're not going to get very far, and you're going to be talking completely in opposite in opposite ways of this topic because that's not how they handle these topics in Korean culture. Yeah, and I don't I don't know if this fits to that exactly, but this is what pops up in my mind. I've I've kind of had I've and don't ask me how how this works. I've been here a while, but I've had the privilege at working at a few uh, public schools. And I don't have a, that's not my main job, but they contacted me and were like, hey, can you come over to our school? 
and and teach for a day or two and then they somehow squared that with the government i don't know so i you know i would just visit and um so i got to see things from the a different angle and uh, and talk to the head teachers at the public school and um they were really frustrated because i guess um Korean education maybe they've tried to west mirror western but they've <clears throat> they've taken away the um teachers uh teachers ability to punish the children so there was a lot of concern there and and there's a lot of friction between the uh teachers and the parents and it seemed like that situation was kind of coming to ahead and I, and I heard a lot of points like similar he, he talked about some specific stories which I think are similar to the conversation you had yeah it's really interesting and I think whenever I hear things like that you know it's, it's often tempting to make every experience relative oh the same thing happens in South Africa or the same thing happens in Australia the same thing happens in America that's what people want to say or that's what they want to do but I think that's pretty disingenuous to discuss the issues like that because it's not true. Obviously, these are different places and there's different experiences and there's some things that are better, there are some things that are worse, and there are some things that are different. And um, some people, because they assume something's different, is bad. Some of the natural reaction, especially from first year or first two-year teachers, would be like, no, 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 in America, we also have this. Or in Canada, we also have this. Um, so when you mention that, I'm reminded of people who make those comments and I'm suddenly motivated to remind people different doesn't mean bad. So just, uh, that we're just discussing differences here today, but yeah, Mm -hmm. you mentioned that. And I think it'd be really, as we're talking about, like how these worlds are so different, I have a few different anecdotes here about how I'll be talking to somebody and they're talking to me and we're both speaking the same language, but we're talking about two completely different ideas. Um, and so I've done a lot of sangdams with people. And for people who don't know what sangdam is, that's when you consult a mom or an adult student when they come to you, right? And you try to get them to enroll in your academy. And in that point in time, when I first started those, I realized something's weird here. We would get fluent adult students coming in and wanting to learn English, right? And they would talk mm-hmm. to me, and I'd, yeah, yeah, no, we, we teach English. We have all this. It's great. And when there, something would be missing from the conversation, they, we were discussing the same topic, but what they were, what they were putting out and I was putting out was, was completely different. And I think some common things would be, for example, um, here it feels like grant when you talk about grammar the moms or the adults have a completely different idea in their mind. So I think this is kind of a trap for native speaker teachers, especially people starting their own academy. Perhaps when they think of grammar, it's kind of, yeah, grammar, writing, writing sentences correctly, or, you know, being able to form the language correctly. So yeah, we'll, we'll practice you know, verb tenses and articles and we'll do speaking games and we'll do speaking activities. And then 
we'll also do riding games and riding activities and then we'll have tests and that's how we do it. it's pretty simple but from the parents mind or from the adults mind they're often thinking about uh, Korean based assessments so their middle school tests or their high school tests or their college entrance exam or standardized tests English tests for adults which are multiple choice and the way they study tests here are is by memorizing prompts and memorizing answers so when they say oh I need a good grammar teacher and oftentimes they assume foreigners can't speak teach grammar well and we often are insulted by that statement of course we can teach grammar well we know grammar it's not even grammar really by our definition it's test hacking basically memorizing prompts memorizing okay you see will here so your answer should be won't or will as well it's it's test hacking which is just when you realize that a big relief to realize that you've been that's why these these zangdam weren't going that well that's why these consultations weren't going that well so that'd be the one of the big anecdotes of like how different people's concepts or preconceptions can be when they're discussing the same topic yeah 100% um there're a ton more uh for example grades um whenever i would give in my academy grades out i didn't wait the grades i would just give them a final test at the end of the month and hand them to the parents and parents would often be upset with me and i didn't realize why and i think we talked about a, a bit about this a bit earlier it seemed that if the test results weren't 100% then the really academically focused parents would be upset if it wasn't above 90 most of my parents would be upset and if it wasn't above 80 then even the kids parents who don't even care about education and who never even hand in their homework would be upset well and, and that's uh, go ahead go ahead and this is a i think kind of a rookie question but they is it they use the bell curve or they don't use the bell curve but basically their grades are calculated compared to each other which is like the opposite system we use which blows me away as well so i think they have that um they have that perception as well it's it doesn't matter how well their kid does what matters is how well how well their kid does compared to the other kids scores and then they calculate the score based on that learn something new every day see i i didn't realize that they do a lot of bell curves here um but yeah they definitely the motivation for having good grades is because uh they want to compare themselves to everybody else's kid and so their kid has to be better and that's that's just something weird so for us i think grades would be a reflection of the kid's skill but like you've just said your grades are a reflection of the kid's rank compared to his peers um a lot more so than it would be uh, at least back home yeah i i think it's insanity i think it's that's the public school system i think they use this system i'm, I'm not i'm not 100% sure but yeah and um it doesn't matter you know it doesn't matter how well you do it's it's based on that system 
Yeah, and some of these ideas that we're talking about, people, again, might try and make it all relative to their home country. But I think a little bit later on, we'll try and discuss you know, some of the big fundamental cultural differences, low context versus high context, collectivism versus individualism, things like that, that really hammering home that, yeah, maybe in the West we compare ourselves to other people, but it doesn't, it doesn't motivate us to do everything in life, which kind of does here. Um, and I guess just on this one other anecdote would be speaking in my mind isn't the same as I think speaking when a, uh, a mom comes into Sangdam or to have a consultation. So for us, when we think of speaking class, you know, you probably think of any old lesson on how to speak English and you'd see, you know, pretty intense speaking activities and warm ups and a ton of really fun stuff that you want to accomplish with your target language, probably a lot of pair work and a lot of, you know, practice and production, practice and production. And that's kind of just what you would expect. It's just fundamental, basic speaking class. But in my experience, whenever I talk to a parent or another academy owner about speaking class, what they're expecting is something completely different it's typically just a video of their kid reciting a storybook using a really polished kind of foreigner accent or mm. a really polished, I refer to myself as a foreigner, a really polished American accent, which isn't speaking, right? Or at least not in my mind. Like there's no communication going on, but that's very often what parents would rather see so i'll show them a lot of videos of my students doing pair work with target language do you have no i don't yes i do for our lowest level students and they're not very impressed even though there's something very organic happening there they're playing a very useful game but they would compare our results with an academy that just does memorization of you know a, a short paragraph and then films it because it sounds and looks good by their metrics. And it's just mind-blowing. Because I can't fathom a world where that's speaking skills. Where that would translate into speaking skills. I don't think any international metric would say, oh, that, that other academy has generated great speaking skills. But again, just worlds apart. And so there's these different expectations. And I think it's so difficult when you're talking to the to parents or to customers. And you hey, look, I've got Cambridge or I've got <laughs> these programs on my side that say this is speaking. And they think, well, you know, my kid should be doing as good as Becky down the road who speaks with a really pretty accent. Even if she's not actually learning speaking skills, she's just memorizing something and she can't answer a prompt. That's really difficult to handle and really difficult to change parents' expectations when you're running a business like that. Yeah, definitely. I I think of I think it starts in the classroom with the teacher. So, you know, in the US we have this uh, fundamental idea of student-based learning versus teacher-based learning and we're really focused on uh, student-based learning, which means we want to engage the students. We want them to come up with their own answers and and uh, have a a large 
amount of engagement and speaking on their end. Well, here there's uh, basically teacher-based learning. So the teacher is lecturing a lot. So the students don't really learn how to how to have a conversation or to speak. They learn to listen. And I do find myself, I'm sure you're the same. I find myself spending a ridiculous amount of time actually teaching just conversation skills, like how to ask a question, how to ask a follow-up question. And I'm not actually teaching English. I'm, I, I'm, it, what takes me the longest is just like teaching them how to have a conversation. And yeah, I, and so I agree with you. Like, once I accomplish that, it's just an amazing thing because then I can set the student loose, and they can speak, they can have a conversation, and then they can really explore the language, right? Where, as opposed to、um, the trap you get set into when you if you work at a hagwon, where yeah, it's it's just. Output focused in a like give a speech or、uh, whatever these kind of the kind of thing you're talking about. That's a really great point. Yeah, at the it seems like again I talked to Megan Kelly and I talked to Cat Sten and all these great ESL teachers and academy owners, and one of the things that they always talked about was education is for show because a lot of things are for show like. The the first impression of something is so important here in Korea, or being able to show off something that seems to have a bunch of good attributes to it is the most important part of many things here in Korea. So that's why you'll often see academies hire twenty two year old, five foot nine, you know, one hundred ten pound women as their star teachers. Instead of like the six-year-old Ajima who has forty years of teaching experience, or you know the fifty-five-year-old dude from America who has a you know a master's in TEFL or something, and that also applies even in these other ways. Why the kid would want to memorize a speech or memorize an essay with the same intonation that an American kid had on a YouTube video. Record that and then send it to the parents and say, "Look how great your kid is at speaking." And the parents really value that more instead of, like you said, communication skills because it seems like the the first impression of something is much more important. And as you mentioned, they're not even getting the skills in day to day life or at school for communication, which is a little bit. Wacky, and that's also you know a huge cultural difference. They're not getting communic. There's no communication going on really between people of different ages, of between people of different ranks.、Um, the most that's happening usually is like really younger kids being able to communicate with each other, or if they're from middle school or higher, they really just chatted up with people in the same、um, the same age as them because. You know they're threatened, or they'll be threatened with a scolding if they get too friendly and too familiar with somebody who's a bit older than them. Yeah, and the communication doesn't look at all like it might look in your English class, right? 
hey, what's up? What'd you do today? What what have you been up to? It ver- it doesn't often look like that. It seems. Yeah. So that's that's all I find myself doing a lot of times. Yeah. So. And and I guess that's one thing that we talked about the other day. Um, attitude behavior gap. So that basically means somebody's opinion or somebody's idea of what they want from you from an academy is not going to be reflected in where they spend their money. So that doesn't mean that they're going to enroll at your academy. Mm-hmm. So you'll often hear people say, oh, I want my kid to be fluent. I want my kid to be able to speak comfortably with, with people from other countries. Um, I want my kid to be able to do all of these things that they might see a kid um, do on, you know, a Korean reality show of kids who live abroad or something like that. But the steps to get there, they don't really support. So I find most of my time goes into changing parents' perceptions of what English education should be rather than just having them trust me. Like, I think it would be much easier just to run a Korean-style academy with those videos of memorized essays and with those grammar classes that are just memorizing test prompts and test uh, answers than it would be. And giving out well, you know, just 100% <laughs> on tests than it would be to teach communicative English because they don't even communicate that way at home or at school, like you said. Yeah, but even then, I'd say the trap there is um, even even education in Korea is trend-based. So th- I think that's the problem with these Korean hagwons. A lot of them, they, they follow these trends. And so you, you're going to get... You basically have to, you know, change... <laughs> change your entire system from year to year if you try to do it that way that's a really great point actually recently they i guess student-based education became a uh, plug word for academies and Mm. for book systems and just like we discussed earlier where it seems like it's just on the surface level all these schools change their marketing material and their text on their advertisements to reflect student-based education but if you were to step into the classroom it would be the same old thing which is basically what they do right so it's trend-based but they take that trend and they just apply the marketing jargon to the same old product basically because it starts with the teacher and the teachers basically all teach or continue teaching the same way which is often that lecture-based Oh, yeah. It would take a huge overhaul. I just hired a woman who is has all the best credentials. She went to a Sky University for a master's degree in English education. Um, and she was telling me that in so many different academies, she wasn't able to use any of her skills in the classroom. <laughs> um so she learned all you know all the best ways to teach English education here in Korea. She learned from the one of the best universities how to teach, but then when she went for any teaching jobs, she just did lectures and you know test prep. So at our academy, she had open classes last week 
not open classes, but observed classes by me. And she mm -hmm. was teaching just the CEFR curriculum, you know, just present, practice, produce type stuff for conversation class. And it was amazing. So most people really? know how to teach that way, I would say. Anybody who's been through a TEFL program can definitely teach that way. It's just this kind of vicious cycle between like comparing my kid to other kids, parents' expectations, and just pushing this weird education cycle for show. So even a lot of the teachers who are famous for teaching grammar the Korean way or teaching whatever skill the Korean way seem to really like teaching just the normal way just seem to like to teach the the normal ESL way that you or I would teach but they're stuck in kind of this weird cycle based on the market based on the moms based on the pressure yeah there's a there's not really a uh, the, the hierarchy I guess doesn't doesn't make much room for that right communication as you said is with the children you're just kind of it's you're just told what to do from a business trend standpoint yeah <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty tough and I guess one of the the other big cultural differences for me um, was academic honesty or academic dishonesty when coming here Mm -hmm. so I guess there's just kind of these implicit rules or these explicit rules but you have basically all these different rules that you've grown up with especially we may not realize it when it comes to education in America um, or in the west and it's kind of shocking when you don't see such fundamental rules um, in the classrooms here so in my experience you know, that's one thing I had to really get over because there's a lot of cheating, like just stupid, dumb cheating, even for an academy test, which doesn't have any consequences. They'll just cheat so much. Um, and that's kind of just what the kids here do. And there's no there's really not a strong consequence for it. And up to the university level, like there's so much cheating and plagiarizing that you'll read often like these famous articles about how much you know PhD candidates plagiarized at universities here and it's just kind of like hey that goes on and that's no big deal and it reminds me of being in school and copying each other's homework I remember when you get like your math homework just asking your friend to copy his homework I don't know if you ever did that. Oh, yeah. I I cheated a lot. <laughs> yeah. So for me, it was just like, it was that, like copying homework, and that was the extent of it. Um, and especially if it had no consequence, like an academy's test doesn't really have that big of consequences. I wouldn't really cheat, I think. But especially... You know, the higher you go, the more negative consequences there are for cheating. But what I found is that beyond even homework, they um, they cheat on their vocabulary tests. They cheat on their normal tests. Like the natural reaction is just like my eye. Like if they don't know something, their eyes are glued to their forensic test. <laughs> or 
if you if you turn your back for one minute they start switching tests around and these are great kids these aren't kids that you would expect to be troublemakers or to cheat or to do anything like that they're great kids but it's just that that's such a normal reaction for them that they would just cheat um what else did they cheat on so i'd say my academy's unit tests vocabulary tests and I don't think there's anything else. I don't know how often they do it with homework because my kids never do their homework. So I assume that's pretty low. But that was a big shock for me. And and I got really angry and I got really upset when I first saw it the first few times. And I wanted to really take disciplinary action against the kids. And like, dude, you're not supposed to do that. How are you going to learn? Especially because it was just, why would you do this at an academy's test? We're just trying to figure out how good you are. There's no negative consequences. We're just going to revisit the unit again. But um, that's just a thing that happens here is cheating like that. And if you make a big deal out of that to the parents, your customers, your or the moms, it's actually a bigger taboo to do that than it is to cheat. Yeah, and um, I can't speak so much to... Um, the students cheating because I just haven't been as plugged in observing observing that but what I can speak to I think uh, illustrates your point even more so because what I can speak to is the teachers um, and the system so for instance there's this uh, I'm sure you've heard about it there's this fascinating culture where they um, bribe the teachers and so the teachers cheat you know I know you've heard about that where they pass the envelopes of money to the teacher yeah and quite it's like a a common occurrence it's not like a a scandal scandalous thing so that's it's happening on both sides Um, so I mean if the teachers are doing it I don't know why the, the students wouldn't do it and then as I mentioned to you before when they do the speeches typically I'll have um, the head teacher or someone on authority come up to me and tell me to write the speech for the kid um, <laughs> I remember like uh, I remember the last one was a uh, the speech was about what their dream is in life, which was, I just, I boggled my mind. Like, you want me to write what a, a 12-year-old kid's dream in life is? Like, how about them, have them write it themselves? But uh, yeah, they wanted me to write 30 12-year-old dream scripts from the narrative that the kid is speaking themselves which was just insanity but I I think that further illustrates the point you're making even though I'm not talking about observing the um, children actually cheat on their on their own yeah that's just you know as a, a westerner coming over here that's even more shocking like 
like I said earlier, the, the tests have really no large bearing on their lives in my academy. What could have even less of a bearing on their lives than a speech about their dreams? But that really ties in really well to these conversations we've been having with all these different academy owners and teachers here, which is there's just superficial education going on. I don't know if I, I feel like I butchered all those words at once. I'll say it again. Uh, superficial education going on, which um, is insane because think about that activity through its goals. Like, what is the objective of that lesson of writing a speech about your dreams? Nothing you described achieves the goals of that lesson. The only thing that is achieved is a video sent home to the parents so that they can brag about how good their kid is at English, although their kid did no parts of that lesson plan. So the kid didn't actually achieve any education from that lesson plan. And it's just insane. And so like you said, it's it's kind of ridiculous. Why cheat? would be my question in that situation like what is the purpose of this type of academic dishonesty like did the kid write this no literally the teachers employed by the parents wrote this what is the point of this and i've talked to parents about this uh for listeners out there we have we opened as an adult school first and we have so many adults and uh, adult students and whenever this topic gets broached with them it just seems like they they kind of consider what I've said and then they don't care because our same adult students who come to us for English lessons would send their kids sometimes to completely other academies that hit all of those familiar notes like this type of speech where the kids memorize and take a video even though they know they're not really learning so there's this real dissonance going on between parents what they want <laughs> and again the attitude behavior gap like the parents would enroll in our academy to learn english but they would send their kids to an academy that like you've just described to learn english just insanity yeah which i um i guess as maybe you've mentioned before i, I guess makes a sort of sense like um even if you even if they understand um, it doesn't matter because their kid's going to be stuck in the system. So they're just going to follow the, the path of least resistance there. Well, and, and I think also, as we've talked about, the parents understand, but understanding that is less important than the, the actions of their peers. So we didn't get into it at all really yet, but the big implicit like cultural differences here collectivism versus individualism so what the collectivism being what the group does i'm going to do and individualism being well the individual can basically just do whatever he wants shame versus guilt shame being oh i'm motivated by the judgment of my peers guilt being i'm motivated by myself feeling bad and then high context versus low context culture which, and again, I don't have a psychology or sociology degree, so this is just me from reading cultural difference books. So don't butcher me in the comments if I ruined, 
the explanation for all these. Um, as far as I know, high context cultures refers to the fact that communicating with uh, somebody else requires a lot of context, so to speak. So um, gestures, their rank, their role in society, um, how close they are to your family, you know, the indirect cues that they're giving you, um, the implications of the conversation on those around you and the future are more important. And low context is just like direct speaking. Like, uh, you don't need a lot of context to have a conversation with somebody or to communicate with somebody. I think that's what that means. Um, but that's really what gets into like a lot of these kind of seeming uh, weird decisions. Like the mom understands that, oh, the kid's not really learning English, but I'm going to send him anywhere because uh, all of his peers go there or all the other parents care about that video. So I want my kid to do good on that video too, or else I'm going to feel some type of shame. Um, which just, again, to tie this all back into the main theme, it's like you can see how all of these interactions are really frustrating as a business owner because even your customers know that they're bad choices to go to these other academies or to study these other ways. But right. they still do it. Yeah. Um, I guess there's one story you told me that I thought really ties in well with that speech contest, which is your science class. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that was just... Um, and that was just disturbing to me because on another level as well, just because um, I have a child and I've been teaching children for a long time and I, I do care. <laughs> I do care about the children and, um, but we, I was work, I'm working, was working with kindergarten with young kids and, um, what's really important to those kids is being able to, to do something by to learn something by doing it um, and to be able to explore and be curious. And so we, you know, using that as an avenue for English, but we have these um, English classes where it's like science, science, English, science class in English. And they make candles or uh, different little projects like that. And I just remember the, the the um, head teacher would just snatch up the projects and just do it do them himself uh, at any chance possible and then just like give give the give the project back to the kid and then they would snap the pictures <laughs> of the finished project but I was uh yeah, as you say, like on the surface level stuff, but it was really disturbing to me because I wanted the kids to actually get to do it themselves. And I was trying to point out that's the that's the point of this, like let the let the kids do it. So the kids were kind of confused. I mean, they went along with it because, hey, they got the candle or the rubber ball that was made 
at the end of the process. So they were kind of like, uh, you know, kind of upset, but then they got the, the toy at the end of it. So they kind of were okay, but it was really disturbing to me. It's disturbing to hear that story. And I guess for new teachers here, they might not really be able to put their finger on it. They might not really be able to figure out what's what's wrong here. Why is this not sitting well with me? And it's basically, it feels like the, the basic steps of the learning process. So what you're supposed to be achieving in any given lesson with a kid is not really the goal it's that picture at the end of class where the kid where you yell at the kids or you tell the kids i'm gonna give you candy if you smile and hold this and look happy and they do that and you send it to the parents and the parents are thrilled and then you take that speech video and the parents are thrilled and it's all just so hollow like there's no education going on as we we say there's a lot of memorization and there's a lot of photos but learning process isn't really being developed that well which is just really frustrating as a teacher and I you know to tie it back in again I often I often have conversations with my adult students about this and they'll kind of somewhat agree or kind of hear what I'm saying but still continue to enroll their kids at an academy that's not going to get their kid to be able to write or speak well at all they're just going to be able to through witchcraft able to pass those tests it's just really frustrating so again those cultural differences like what they what they want what they even care about and that attitude behavior gap between what they say like oh no I agree with you this is not good and then what they do but I'm still going to enroll my kid there because of the peer pressure from folks that I know who are going there or the shame of my kid not being able to do the same exact memorized speech motivates them so much that they'll go there anyway yeah i i don't think i don't think there's any debating it i mean you've that's that's it that's what you always hear communication 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 and that's that's exactly what you got to pin it to and start from there so i think this is a great way to look at it um and connecting the the cultural aspects to that and I guess um, while we're on the topic, uh, another big cultural difference that's, I think, pretty frustrating is who's fundamentally responsible for the education of the kids. So there's just kind of weird concoction going on. And like the first recipe in this concoction is, well, whatever you teach Steve or whatever you teach how I'm going to compare it to the pictures and the videos of these other academies so you have this false standard that you're already being judged by which is you know these kids hacking these tests or these kids taking videos of themselves speaking in a polished practiced um, you know American style accent but not actually even knowing the context of their speech you're being compared to that and then you accept students from parents and, you know, maybe you'll have the kid in class and the kid never does his homework. So whatever speaking output you get in class isn't being reinforced at home and the kid's struggling. And the kid gets a bad score on your test because of that. 
But as we just discussed, if the test is not 100% or above a 90 at least, parents will be upset. So you're forced to do something in those lines. You know, you need to fix that. Oh, I need to put a curve there on that test to make it his test results higher. Or I need to include homework time in class. So I need to have the kids do their homework in class. Um, but what that all comes down to is, I think our experience is the teachers are responsible for every aspect of the kids' progress. I've not really found much help from my parents, and I've not found much help from the individual students. So I think maybe back home we would accept that a student's not very interested in the subject, or students learn at different rates, and students develop differently, and we're very respectful of like individual progression of the children. But what I found here is if the child's not doing as good as the best student in class, then you're a bad academy or you're a bad teacher. And that might be a little bit hyperbolic. But when we do have discussions with parents, the the blame does get pointed at us. Oh, and it's indirect language, right? Because it's a high context culture. So, uh, in Korean, they would say, oh, it would be nice if... His score was better on this. Or, oh, why, why is that student's score so high? Why is Bob's score so high? Which means, oh, I'm angry that Ben didn't get a high score. <laughs> and you've got to decipher that. But very rarely have I seen people put the responsibility on the child for their, um, their progress. And definitely not the parents. And you can see, obviously, the science is there. If the parents are interested in the school's kid or the kid's schoolwork, the kid's going to do better. So all my kids whose parents sit down and do homework with them and read books to them are the best students in our academy. And all the parents who just send their kids to our academies and don't do anything except call and complain when their kid isn't doing that great. Or their kids are doing great. Their kids... They call and complain when their kid isn't doing as great as the number one student in class whose mom sits down with him and reads him an English book before he goes to sleep every day. Um, I don't even know what the conclusion of that is, but you guys get my point. Yeah, and if I can just slip that back a bit um, at that, at that, um, that leading public school. I'll never forget the, their, what do they call that, Steve? They have a word for it when, they call it a collapse, I think. Have you heard that term? Ah, uh, yeah. Collapse, I've heard, collapse, I've heard you or a great collapse. Yeah. So, basically, uh, in, in uh, I think, I guess, in connection to the collectivist culture, it's like, um, we have the kind of rebels or whatever in the in in our classrooms but we don't have that collective mentality so like they'll kind of lose if they lose control of a few kids it can be a real danger and then they can there i think it evolves a lot quicker to like where they just they lose one and then they lose one classroom uh, like 32 kids and then they like lose the whole grade and then the whole school like it's this kind of crazy thing that happens but anyways um and the and these were some veteran teachers 
that I was working with, but the uh, in the cafeteria, um, this this teacher had lost control, basically,、uh, especially of one student, and the parent was upset with her. She blamed the teacher, and、uh, she was calling and texting the teacher during the、uh, the lunch break, and the teacher just collapsed. And、uh, ambulance came and took her away, and、uh, I don't know what they did something with her, but she she didn't come back. And、uh, that, from my understanding, is a a common issue. The、um, as you said, it kind of connects to this、uh, idea of who's responsible. For the learning. So you mentioned not only did this woman physically collapse from the pressure and stress from the moms, but the class, like in the figurative way, collapsed. The students abandoned that particular teacher's class and changed. They just,、um, you know, how you've got that one crazy student that's acting up. Well, the rest of the kids saw that she'd lost control of that one kid, so they just all stopped listening and responding to her. Collectively, yeah, and it's that's really tough because there's something you also learn, and I think first-year teachers are kind of getting an inkling of this. Maybe they think, "Oh, it's just my hagwan director's kind of a, a pushover. My my hagwan director only cares about the money because he puts all these problem kids in the same class together," which might be true for sure, but there's this. <clears throat> Basic thing about rule enforcement, especially in Korea, and you'll see it all the way up at the top, from like an 80-year-old man down to a baby. They don't really enforce rules. So, in the West, perhaps, maybe mo- more so in America, if you break a rule, you get punished. Um, that's just kind of the way we do it. And for the most part, that's how classrooms are managed well. So, whether that means you lose a point, whether that means you have to sit outside, whether that means you get a suspension or detention, yeah, there's punishment. But what I found is, and I think this is true for most people, the children who are the big, big disturbance in class. Really, one of the only recourses that you can have is to remove them from the class. So, expel them from your classroom, and see if that whips them into shape.、Mm-hmm. And I'm sure I'll get a lot of comments about a bunch of different other behavioral management techniques. I hope people understand that I'm probably talking about very, very exceptional cases. So,、um, I'm, not, I'm not very interested in receiving a ton of emails about. Trying to get the student to be your class leader or giving them responsibility, I'm just literally talking about the most exceptional cases.、Um, you've got a, you've really got no recourse because they're just going to ruin your class, and they don't kick them out really here, or they don't punish them severely here, or they don't. There's not like a really really strong rule enforcement. There's a limit. 
basically to the types of rules and how much you can enforce so staying late if you didn't do your homework is fine taking a few ice cream points away is fine kicking a student out of class is like a big taboo i found um well, calling the parents i do that a lot <laughs> yeah calling up the parents and discussing the behavior problems with them is a big taboo because you shouldn't say anything negative about the kid on the phone and that also reflects on you badly because hey you're the teacher you're the person in charge here why are you telling me it's my responsibility my kids behavior is my responsibility mm-hmm. and so your end uh, and then you know if you don't solve this kid's behavioral problem at least in the private market and the academy word might get around that you're not unable to that you're unable to do it and if the kid goes to another academy and doesn't have any problems there because perhaps the academy director doesn't care if he does any work in class and so doesn't he doesn't receive punishment or the academy director walks around with a stick and threatens the kids which still often happens or if the academy director you know doesn't have um language production in class so there's less opportunity for the kid to learn english but also less opportunity for him to disrupt class by talking to peers then that other academy gets a, a good reputation and perhaps the mom will refer them uh, will refer her friends to them and so you, you kind of feel like you don't have the ability to enforce rules and it's really difficult because that is a huge cultural difference if you look around like how many times a day when i'm driving my car do i see trucks huge massive killers like five thousand pound trucks garbage trucks construction trucks cement laying trucks haul ass through red lights it's insanity and there's no police around to enforce traffic laws and whenever there's disputes even and you go to the police station the police officers don't really enforce the laws they just decide uh this person wants to get some what's it called blood money from this person uh, uh this person's at fault so for this not to go to court they need to pay what's kind of sort of a bribe to the uh offended party and there's just not like a lot of enforcement by the authorities in any place so parents with their kids they really don't punish them that much so i don't know how many times i've had sangdam again that's consultations with parents and they'll come into the academy and they're in the office area but their kids are in various other classrooms just really destroying them and the parents don't really care yeah. Oh, yeah. They just let their kids run around destroying the classrooms. And who's it on to tell the kids, hey, please don't break my erasers and my markers and my pencils? You know, who, who's going to be the person that whips their kids into shape? It's got to be the teacher, but also the teacher can't be too harsh because then the parents won't be happy. Anyway, that, that's a really weird one, too. That's a huge cultural difference. That's really frustrating because you can't really get your, te- your parents on your side because they don't believe in. Again, attitude behavior gap. They want the kids to be well behaved, but they're not going to enforce rules in any way. Yeah, I still haven't figured that one out. But uh, I do, I do wield rules um, a lot. That's definitely that's definitely the battle. Yeah, and there's there could be a completely different podcast about this because the cultural differences 
um, or cultural interactions based on the fact that you're a foreigner in Korean culture are also very different. So, you know, just being older than somebody and being Korean will mean that they have to respect and do whatever you say for the most part. Um, whereas as a foreigner, you're below even a child in some ways. So it's not uncommon for a child to walk up to you and speak to you in the panma, which is the rudest form of the language, the way you speak down to somebody. So the way you would speak to somebody younger than you, the way that you'd speak to, I guess, a servant in the old days. And it's really not uncommon for them to use that towards the foreign teachers. Yeah, it's kind of like in the U.S., right? If you were to walk up to an old man and just be like, hey. (laughs) Yeah. Hey. (laughs) Like, that's literally the same word, right? The greeting. But it it feels like that. Yeah, and I, I would take it even further than that because I think we don't even have a concept of that because um, we just we've we've gone so many decades and centuries without that type of thing. I would compare it to like Game of Thrones when people are walking around like the throne room in front of one of the kings or queens and they've got to be very demure and they've got to have their best behavior on. It's like somebody walking in, and I and that might sound weird, but like. In that situation, the king would be just generally any older Korean person. And then the people in the courtroom would be anybody younger. And they've you can't just walk up to somebody and say, what's up? You can't walk up to the king and say, hey, what's up? There's all that formal language and there's all that weird, uh, I don't know, court etiquette. And that's basically what you have going on here. And the kids, really, there's a good chunk of the kids that don't believe that the foreign teacher needs to have any respect and when they do that it's, it's difficult because you have to enforce the rules and if they do that to you they that's an implicit rule in their society right if they don't follow those implicit rules towards you then there's probably a lot of other rules that they won't follow right and i guess we're kind of getting long in the tooth here but i to really sum this up well for everybody i thought there was just this idea that might really hit home it just sometimes feels like you're being punished for teaching the right way and I don't know if that sounds grandiose or too self-important but it really feels like you get punished for teaching the right way so if you accept that children learn at different rates you get punished because the children who aren't doing as good as the number one student um will or the children's parents will lose face so they'll feel shame that their kid's not doing as good and they'll be upset and you have to then either compromise on all your values or or lie and say the kid's doing better than he is in order to solve that problem if your kids are um learning grammar you know, through writing and through speaking, but they're not able to ace the 100 questions on a random uh, Korean public school test, even though they're obviously much better at English than everybody around them. Um, the parents will be angry. And again, it just feels like you're being punished. It's like, I'm doing this the right way. Like study, spending four months or spending two months memorizing middle school test questions is not ethical. And is also not uh, 
very helpful for your kid in the long run. I'm teaching them real English, but you just get punished for it. So it, it's just kind of really frustrating. I think as far as the biggest problem with teaching ESL abroad or running an academy abroad is you really can make a good run of it if you teach like the Korean way or run your academy like another Korean hagwon and just have the smiling foreigner face for once a week you do a foreigner class and maybe you're the brand you could probably make a killing that way and you probably won't have that much stress but I don't think many of us would want to do that you'd actually want to teach English but it definitely does feel like you're being punished for it yeah yeah and I I would say to um, end on a positive note on my end I'd say um you you can empower yourself so a lot of these terms that Steve's been using the high context versus low context collectivist versus individualist you can really kind of empower yourself and figure out what's going on you don't have to float through five years in the classroom trying to figure out what the heck's going on uh if you if you arm yourself with uh, some of these concepts, you can kind of get through things quicker, and you can um, you can subscribe on YouTube to a uh, veteran, you know, veteran teacher in the U.S., and you can see they've got these um, they've got a lot of uh, what do you call it? They've got a lot of uh, methodology um they've got these strict rule-based systems and they've got all these values worked in in their classrooms and they're really on it and you can um you can wade through some of this at least kind of get your sanity for sure and then the practical solution to all this is pretty simple so when you run your own academies and or if you're just teaching, there are a ton of practical solutions. One Hal just mentioned. Um, but to get yourself through dealing with these scenarios, the best thing to do is just feed. Yeah, you, you, you have to learn the jargon exactly as it is, exactly how the moms understand it. So what you've just heard is an hour long discussion about the big cultural differences and why it's so frustrating and a lot of it was based on communication you know their concept of this is not my concept of this so when we're talking on it we're just kind of at odds <clears throat> and the big solution is to start talking about it from the same angle as your customers you know figure out what your customers actually want not what they say they want and then make sure that you're providing that alongside what you want to provide, what you think will be helpful for your students in the long run. And there are a lot of good compromises on that. And there's a lot of good resources for that. But I think we'll cover that next time. Um, so I think perhaps next time we'll talk about with these huge, difficult problems inside an academy, you know, number one for us being the cultural differences and how we communicate about English education what can I do to teach English the way I'm supposed to teach English, but also satisfy the expectations of moms? Um, so yeah, I think we'll cover that next time. Now, what do you think? Yeah, that sounds great. Um, we kind of laid out the 
the specifics of the problem and then we can um, take the solution uh, ba uh, to solution based conversation awesome alright guys well I guess thanks for tuning in we'll catch you next time thanks guys have a good uh, weekend <laughs>